I'm excited to be here with you all tonight. Uh, we're continuing part two of uh, the first block of our series in foundation over the Bible. So this is the Bible part two. Um, so we talked about in the first session uh, why doctrine is so important, why God values uh, teaching and how we as followers of Christ, how it's not really an, an option for us to know or to not know what the Bible says. It's we must know what God has spoken in his word. And then last week, uh, Dave gave us some great outside witnesses as to why we can trust the Bible. He gave us the physical evidences, the personal eyewitness evidences, historical, scientific, prophetic. He gave us all these uh, options, all these avenues um, that you can look at outside of the Bible to examine Scripture and see that is the Bible trustworthy. And we saw last week that we can trust the Bible. The Bible is not just a book of fairy tales or fables that just takes only faith to believe in, but the Bible is also a book of reason and of facts that you and I can be confident in. And so tonight I want to continue um, to study about the Bible. And the reason why we're taking two, set, two sessions to talk about Scripture is because all other doctrines are going to be coming out of the Bible, right? And so you have to get this first one down correctly, otherwise all the other, all the other dominoes will fall, so to speak. And so, oftentimes as we read through Scripture, um, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to understand, right? Or sometimes as you read Scripture, you wish, you're like, man, this is a, a good passage, but man, I would love it if God would just speak to me. Like, what if God showed up, or an angel of God showed up and had a message for me? Then I would know what to do, or, or then I would for sure obey what God has asked. Y'all ever felt that way before? Like you, you wanted like, like a personal messenger from God to show up and tell you, okay, do this, don't do that. Right? I think we've all have wanted that at some point in our, in our Christian walk. But the, the uh, thing is, is that God has spoken to you. God has spoken to me, and it's through his word, the Bible. The Bible is the all-sufficient source uh, for our Christian walk with God. All right, he might not tell you, like, there's, there's not a verse in Scripture that says, all right, Nathan, whenever you are this age, do this, right? But in Scripture is everything that we need to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. And so if you ever find yourself wishing, man, I wish God would just speak to me. I wish that God would give me a burning bush, give me a sign. The Bible is God's sign. The Bible is God's burning bush for you and for me to look at, to learn from, to understand his will for our lives. Um, there are many people in Scripture who did hear from God personally. There are many people in Scripture who did hear from an angel of God personally, and yet they still did not believe, yet they still did not obey. So it's, it's not a, a question of, um, I, I need to hear from a superior source. The question is, is your heart, is, is my heart ready and willing to obey the word that God has already given to you? The word that God has already given to all of us as his children. And so as we jump into this session here tonight, understand that the Bible is a book about God. The Bible is not a book about you. The Bible is not a book about me. This is a, a, a book that you and I open up together to understand who God is, to understand how God works, to understand what God expects of his followers. And so I have some just three basic points tonight that are really key points. Again, there's so much more that we could talk about in all of this, uh, but these are three things that I thought were 
super important that we all understand as far as the doctrine of the Bible. And the first point is that the Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is inspired by God. And our key passage for that is the same passage that Dave used last week, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. The Bible says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that, that very first line there in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. And you see that phrase I have there on your outline, verbal, plenary, inspiration. Sounds complicated. It's really not, though, so I'll walk us through it. Um, the word verbal just means that God gave us the exact words of Scripture. Every single word in the Bible was chosen by God. Right? God gave us the exact wording of the Bible. So it's not just God gave someone an idea, God gave someone a nice thought about what they should maybe write about. No, it's that God inspired every single individual word within Scripture. And so you and I, as we, as we study Scripture, sometimes we like to read what other people have said or what other people have thought about Scripture, which is a great resource and a great thing to do. But never let that be a substitute for actually reading the words of Scripture. Right? God inspired not just the thoughts of the Bible. God inspired the very words of the Bible. So every single word is important. And then that more confusing word, maybe plenary, that, that just means full. That means the entire Bible is inspired. So the entirety of Scripture from beginning to end, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, every single word is inspired by God. So that should tell us that we should not be picky about what portions of Scripture we read. You all here probably have your, your favorite books, your favorite chapters in Scripture that you love to go to again and again and that's awesome. But don't neglect reading the entirety of Scripture, right? God has something to say for you and for me, Genesis all the way through Revelation. Some books are easier to read than others. Some books are more confusing than others. Some of them just make sense immediately. But God has given us every single word in every single book for your benefit and for mine. And all parts of the Bible are for all people. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, how old or young you are. Every single part of Scripture is for you. Um, so we need to be willing to study not just the ones, not just the chapters that we like, not just the books that we've always have been used to reading, but every single portion of Scripture has been given to us by God. And so we should study those as well. So verbal means God gave the exact words of Scripture. Plenary just means full. All Scripture is by God. And then finally, inspiration, God breathed, which just means God is the author of the Bible. So God is the author of the Bible, but he used men to write Scripture. Over 1,500 years, there were 40 different human authors that wrote in about three different languages. So 1,500 years, 40 human authors, three different languages, but one author. God is the only author of Scripture. And it might be confusing at first to think, well, there was 40 different people over this huge, vast span of time, 1,500 years, 
but God was the single author. He was the one that breathed the words into these men to write these words down. One illustration that kind of helps me think about that and understand that is say you have a musician who, can, who is really good and he can play a bunch of different instruments. He picks up a French horn, it sounds one way. He picks up a clarinet, it sounds different. He picks up a saxophone, it sounds different. Right? He breathes into all these different instruments and a different sound, a, a different feel comes out. But it's still the same musician. It's still the same guy writing the music. So at, that's why as we read scripture, uh, why every book has the personality of the author, right? Whenever Paul writes a book, it sounds and it feels a certain way. Whenever Isaiah writes, it feels different. Whenever Peter writes, it feels different. So it's not that God is uh, just writing in absence of these people's personalities, but God is breathing through his men over the years to write down his exact words. So verbal, plenary inspiration, every single word, in every single book of Scripture, has been breathed out by God. In Second Peter chapter 1, um, Peter is writing. And remember, Peter, of course, the apostle that walked with Jesus for three years. He saw all of the miracles that Christ did. He saw all the amazing things that had happened. All the miracles that, that we read about and wonder what it was like to be there. Peter was there. But Peter writes this in Second Peter chapter 1. Verses 16 through 21, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we saw all these amazing things that happened. And then look at verse 19. And we have the, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter here, what is he saying? He says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying, look, there's something that is more sure than even my own eyewitness accounts of what Christ did. And that is the writings of Scripture. Something that is more certain than an eyewitness account, Peter points to the writings of Scripture. Right? He, he points to the Bible as every single word here is more reliable, is more trustworthy, is more certain than even my own eyewitness experience. Right? You all would think that if I saw something, if I experienced something, that would surely be of more importance, of, of a heavier weight than just someone else writing it down. And generally, that would probably be true, right? But this is, with, with Scripture, with God-breathed words, Peter says this is more sure, this is more certain, this is more secure than even my own experience. So as we approach Scripture, understand that this is not just another book. This is not just another collection of fairy tales or myths or stories. These are words that God himself has breathed out for your benefit and for mine. Right? God could have left us in the dark. He didn't have to write scripture for us, but he has. And so he's written everything from Genesis to Revelation. He has breathed that out so that, we, that you and I can read it. So the Bible is inspired by God. And we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 through 17. 
Secondly, the Bible has been preserved by God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. It's one thing to understand that the Bible has been inspired by God, but what good would that do if God inspired his word thousands of years ago, but then there was no way for us to ever get that? What if somehow it got lost? What if somehow it was changed or altered and we didn't have the true word of God anymore? Well, God has promised us that his word will never change, and God has promised us that he has inspired his word, but he will also make his word available to his followers as well. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. And whenever Jesus arrives in John chapter 1, John begins his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He identifies Jesus as the word. Jesus is the ultimate culmination of God speaking to his people. And so it's it's cool to know that, hey, God inspired these men thousands of years ago to write down his words. But it's even better to know that God made sure that we would receive those words. Y'all ever play that uh, telephone game? Right? Whenever you're kids, you play telephone, you say something into one person's ear, and it goes down the line, and by the time it's down the line, it's a completely different message, right? It has no similarity at all to what you started out with. Thankfully, God has not left us in that condition when it comes to his word, right? That'd be pretty easy to do over thousands of years, right? Imagine how much can change. Imagine how much can be altered. Imagine how much can be added or erased, But God in his providence has promised us that his word never changes and his word will never fade away. You and I have the promise from God that the word that you and I have right now is his word. We have access to the Bible. We have access to the words of God, the words that he wants us to have access to, right? This is the complete scripture. We're not missing anything. There's there's no lost book out there somewhere. This is the complete total word of God that he has for all of us. So there'd be no point in God writing a book if that book would not be preserved for us to read. Um, And this also leads us uh, into uh, canon, which Dave also touched on last week. I want to touch on it just a little bit more today. That word canon just means ruler. So how, how did we decide, or who decided, what books go into Scripture and what books didn't make it into Scripture? Um, so whenever we use that word canon, that just is like the measuring stick. Do, or, uh, does this writing or does that writing measure up in a way that would make it fit into what we would call the word of God? So whenever Jesus um, arrives in the New Testament, the Old Testament canon, the Old Testament list of books had already been recognized and formalized by the Jewish people. And whenever Jesus um, refers to the Old Testament, he refers to it all He says, from the beginning all the way through the prophets is my word. And then he also validates the upcoming writings of his apostles as being words from God. And so as the church received all these new letters, like all the epistles from Paul, the writings from Peter, the writings from Luke, uh, the church immediately recognized what was the word of God and what was not. And so there's, there's a lot... Behind that, there's a lot of church history in that that we can get, get into, and I want to dive into all that right now. But we can rest assured that 
All of the books that are in our scripture right now are all of the books that belong in scripture. We're not missing anything. There's not going to be a new revelation of a, of a new book that will be added sometime later. The canon, the list of books for scripture, is all closed. At, at the end of Revelation, uh, John the Apostle writes, uh, basically saying, if anyone adds to or takes away from the word of the Lord, um, then they will be removed from the book of life. Basically saying, look, guys, do not add to God's word. Do not take anything away from God's word. And that's something that we see with uh, many cults or many other uh, spiritual uh, organizations is that they'll say, yeah, we believe the Bible, but we also then got this new book, right? This further explains the Bible, right? Now we have something like the Book of Mormon. We have this other book over here that the Bible itself is, is good, but it's not complete, right? The Bible is good, but it's not sufficient. We need something else to, to add on to it, to make it more sense, or just to give you the complete truth. But that is not what God has, has told us. He's told us that his word, the canon of his word, is done, it's finished, it's complete. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to, to take away from it. And so whenever we um, understand that, we understand that um, if God has preserved his word, obviously you, I don't think anyone here reads Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, right? Those are the original three languages that the uh, 40 authors used to write. But here we are as English speakers, and we are blessed with an English Bible, many different kinds of English Bibles. Um, and so I grew up reading the King James Version. I love the King James Version. Uh, but we have many different translations of the Bible available to us. Uh, and so you have to be careful as you approach the issue of translation. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, did not write in King James English. The, the Apostle Paul didn't. He, he wasn't walking around with a leather-bound, uh, red-letter edition of a Schofield King James Bible, okay? Now, I love the King James Bible, but you have to understand that you and I, as English speakers, we are reading a translation of the Bible. It is a translation. Um, if you want to read the original, then you have to learn Greek, you have to learn Hebrew. But we are, we are blessed in that we have many good translations of Scripture available to us in our native tongue, right? That's a huge blessing that you and I have. And so I just want to give you a quick rundown of different translation methods. Again, this is under the idea that God has preserved his word for us. And so he's preserved it for us now to the point where it's also translated in our own tongue. And so the first way that you can translate the scripture is uh, formal equivalence, which just means they translate it word for word. And so just some examples of uh, translations that use formal equivalence is the King James Version, the New King James Version, ESV, the New American Standard, and there's many others as well. This is probably the safest category if you want to be accurate to what Scripture says, because this is basically the uh, translators approaching Scripture and saying, we're just going to take this word and translate it to our language. We're not going to try to alter it. We're not going to try to commentate on it. We're just going to do a word-for-word -word translation. So most word-for-word -word translations will be fairly accurate. Right? If, you, if you want the thing in our language that's closest to Scripture, to the original languages, you should stick with a formal equivalence method. But the other methods are, are not bad, and so that's, that's, that's the next one. It's dynamic equivalence, which is thought for thought. 
Um, you have translations there like the NLT, the NIV, the Message. Right now, I'm using the NLT in my personal devotion time because it's very readable. It's enjoyable to read. I really like it. Uh, but it's not as accurate. It's not as uh, detailed as a word-for-word translation would be. And so, again, this is not to say one translation is bad or one translation is better, but just understand that when you read a translation that is thought for thought, you are trusting the thoughts of the person that translated that, that Bible version, right? Which I'm sure they all have good intentions, right? But I want to read the words of God as closely as I can as possible. And so just it's good to understand that, that method that there are Bibles out there that do word for word, and there are others that do thought for thought. Again, one is not necessarily better than the other. I would say if you, if you love the NLT, keep reading the NLT. If you hate the NLT, then try the ESV, whatever. But just understand that there's a different translation philosophy that comes into play with these things, and that is part of the preservation of Scripture. And so while the thought for thought is very readable, like the NLT is very readable, and I'm reading it right now for my own personal devotions, you always are just inherently relying on the person that translated it, that they did a good job, that they are interpreting it for you properly. And so just understand if you want to get into a more accurate reading of God's word, you might want to stick with a word-for-word translation as well. And also, did you know that um, the chapter and verse divisions were not part of the original manuscripts, right? Those are just added on later, thankfully, to make it much easier to find where we are. Imagine being in, in church, and Pastor John says, all right, turn to Isaiah, go about halfway through, then, then take a left, and you might find this phrase here, and we'll all, we'll all pick up here. Uh, the, the, the chapter and verse separation was just added later for ease of reading and ease of, of reference. So if you actually open up a Hebrew Bible, there's no vowels, there's no punctuation, uh, there's, there's no uh, verse numbers, it's all just lines of consonants. It's very confusing. So you should be thankful we have good translations uh, to read. Um, so we have that the Bible has been inspired by God, the Bible has been preserved by God in the canon, in the, in the ruler, by, by the standard of Scripture, and the different translation methods are the formal equivalence, word for word, and the dynamic equivalence, thought for thought. Now finally, for number three, interpret the Bible interpret the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. It's great that we have a Bible. It's great that you read a Bible. But I think we all have experienced times when the Bible has been misused. Right? Someone will quote a verse, and it's like, wait a second, I don't think that's what that verse is talking about. Or someone will say that this verse means that, and then you read it for yourself, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I agree. So people can use the Bible to say many different things, but our goal as followers of Christ is that we want to understand what the Bible is actually trying to say. And part of that is, is coming to Scripture as you approach it to read it, and not coming to it saying, all right, I already know what this says, I'm going to impose my thoughts onto the Scripture, but saying, God, I want you to impose your thoughts on me. Take the words from your book, take the words that you breathe, and tell me what is true. Tell me what you want me to know, to learn, to understand. And this is something that, 
as we read Scripture, it, it requires the help of the Holy Spirit. Right, the Bible tells us that the things of God are foolishness to those that are not followers of Him. Right? So someone who is a Ph.D., who studies the Bible um, just for academic purposes, but they are not themselves saved, They're, they don't themselves have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, you do understand the Bible more than they do. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. You have the author of the book within you there to help illuminate the text, to explain the text for you. That makes sense? So you and I should not be intimidated if someone, when we see the secular theologians on TV explaining how the Bible is wrong or the Bible is different in these ways, because they're approaching it from an unsaved, unregenerate mindset. And, by, and, and God tells us in his word that the Holy Spirit takes God's word as we read it and he changes our hearts, he changes our minds. So someone who does not have the Holy Spirit is at a disadvantage as they read the word. But for us who are believers, if you want to interpret the Bible correctly, uh, the first step is pretty easy. You should just read it, right? You have to actually read Scripture if you want to understand Scripture, if you want to be able to inter and interpret Scripture. So have you ever read the Bible from, from cover to cover? Or have you just kind of cherry-picked your favorite passages, your favorite books here and there? And again, I'm not trying to uh, say that if you haven't enjoyed Leviticus that you are unspiritual. I'm just saying you should take the opportunity. God has given us an entire book of 66 books. And if you haven't read all of them yet, I would encourage you to do so. And, you know, most books you wouldn't open up, you know, halfway through or three-quarters of the way through and start from there, right? You, you want to start from the beginning and you want to end at the end, right? That's a, that's a good way to read Scripture as well. It's just read from Genesis all the way through Revelation. That's, that's one reason why I've loved for our connect groups, just walking through the Gospel Project. We start in Genesis. We started three years ago, and this summer we'll be finishing up in Revelation, Genesis all the way through Revelation. And if you follow along with our daily readings that we post every week, um, it's the same thing. You'll start in Genesis, and you'll end up in Revelation. You'll, you'll have read the entirety of Scripture. Because God wants us to understand what the Bible says. God breathed out his word. He's preserved his word so that you can understand what his word says. So that you can understand that his word has impact for you today. So don't be picky with the Bible. Just, just read the whole thing. Uh, so as, as you read scripture, understand that if, if the Bible emphasizes something, then you should probably emphasize that as well. If the Bible only mentions something once, if the Bible only talks about something very limitedly, um, it's, it's good to study that, but understand that that's not in the big picture. And so, so what do I mean by that? Well, some people love to study and talk about angels, right? Which is, which is great. There's lots of angels in, in, the, in the Bible. But how much time does God in the Bible spend on explaining angels? Not much, right? They're just there, and they're obeying God, right? But some people love to spend their time studying, oh, I'm going to learn all I can about angels. That's, that's great, but the Bible doesn't spend much time telling you about that, so why don't you spend the time on something else that God has obviously said is a little more important, right? God has talked a lot about salvation, redemption, heaven, hell, Jesus, right? There's so many different things that the Bible emphasizes. What are you emphasizing in your study? So again, I'm not saying don't study angels, don't study the minor things, but don't neglect the major themes of Scripture for personal 
preferences. So as we read the scripture, um, the first thing there I have is under read it is interpret literally. So the Bible is meant to be taken at face value, right? The Bible means what it says. The Bible is like any other book. It's, it's not supposed to be hard to understand. As you read scripture, you are to read it with a literal reading. And that's something that is so, I think, huge in our culture right now is that um, people can use the Bible to mean so many things because they say, well, my interpretation is, but your interpretation is, is different, right? That's not how I interpret what that passage means. Have you all heard that before? That's, that's good that you think the Bible says that, but I interpret it as meaning this, right? And our, our job, and when we come to Scripture, to interpret Scripture is not to impose our own meaning on it, but to get the meaning that God intended out of it, right? We are not there to put our agenda on Scripture, but we are there to get God's agenda out of Scripture. And so, as we read it, just read the Bible literally. So, an, an example of where we take the Bible literally is in Genesis, when God says, God formed man from the dust of the ground. So, we believe that God literally used dust and dirt and mud and clay to form Adam, right? But then there's also a passage in uh, Scripture, or there's different passages in, in Scripture that, that do use figurative language. Remember, Jesus says, I am the door. Right? We know he's not a literal door. Right? Jesus is using a, a figurative image there to communicate a point. So we, we, do all, all, we do this all the time with our own language. Right? If someone is trying to learn English uh, and they're coming from a different country and they come across the phrase, uh, knee-high to a grasshopper. What does that mean? You know, like, I've got the words translated, but knee-high to a grasshopper, what, what does that wording even mean, right? It's, it's confusing. So we have our own figure of language that we all understand, right, as, as we communicate. And the Bible on the whole just means what it says. It has a very simple, straightforward meaning, right? Now, if, if the Bible does use a figurative language or a symbolic language, which it does in certain books, especially in Revelation, uh, it oftentimes will include an explanation of what those symbols are, right? Usually, in most passages that are figurative or that it is a parable, uh, there will be an explanation of what those things are somewhere, right? So as we read Scripture, you don't have to read wondering, is this really what it means, or is there a hidden meaning somewhere, right? No, God wants you to understand His Word. He's written it down in a very simple way. All we have to do is interpret it literally, also, we have to interpret the uh, Bible in context. Never isolate a verse or passage of Scripture from the overarching context of what the Bible says. So if you're looking at a verse, zoom out and look at the chapter. When you're in the chapter, zoom out and look at that book. When you're in that book, zoom out and look at that testament. And when you're at that testament, zoom out and look at the entirety of what Scripture says. You have to understand that the Bible is one coherent book. It's not some random um, juggling together of random books kind of pieced together. This is one author, God, who's put together this Bible for us, and he has one overarching message, right? In, in the Old Testament, the overarching thing is the, is the fall of man and the preparation for the promised one that would come and save mankind. And in the New Testament, the overarching message is that that Messiah comes, salvation is given, and then it ends with what the future will be, right? So you have to come to each passage of Scripture and read it 
in context of what that passage is talking about. Right? Probably one of the most over or abused verses in our culture right now is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We see that on, everyone's, on, uh, on Instagram before someone runs a race or someone does something athletic or challenging. It's good, right? God, God is with us as his kids, right? But um, Paul was writing that from jail. You know, Paul was saying, I can suffer <laughs> because of Christ who strengthens me, right? It's, it's helpful to know the context of a, of a verse, right? Don't just isolate a verse all by itself and make a whole doctrine, a whole theology out of that one verse. Look at the verse, look at the context of the verse, look at the context of the, of the passage of the book. Who is this? Who's the author of this book? Who are they writing to? What's, what's the time period? What is going on in this passage that can help me understand what God is trying to say? And if you want to understand the New Testament, you should really understand the Old Testament as well. It's, it's amazing how, how often Jesus and the apostles, but especially Jesus, quotes the Old Testament. You uh, think that much of what he says is, this is the first time this has ever been said here, but you realize, no, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament all over the place. They love to quote the Old Testament. And really, the whole, the whole concept of Messiah and what these people were looking for doesn't make any sense unless you understand the Old Testament, right? So don't neglect the Old Testament because it's, it's old. It's not old, old. It's just older than the new one, okay? So we have to understand that the New Testament builds on top of the Old Testament. If you want to understand the new, you have to understand the old. And if you want the old to make sense, you have to then read the new as well. So what does the Bible say about itself? And then I kind of touched on these, these other two. Um, interpret in the historical setting and interpret in view of the cultural setting, right? The Bible was written in very different cultures than our culture today. All right, there are some similarities here and there, but, but you know, we all drove here. I don't think any of us here rode here on, on a donkey or on a horse, right? We are, we're a very different culture, a very different time than, than when the Bible was, was taking place. So it's important as you read to look into what is, what is the historical setting here? What is the cultural setting here? Like why, why did this make sense? Right, whenever we read about um, Jesus, he's performing, um, or he, he's about to perform his first miracle at the wedding in Cana, and his mom, Mary, comes up to him, and she wants to speak with him, and he says, woman, you are like, man, that's kind of disrespectful, <laughs> you know, I can't believe Jesus talks to his mom like that, you know, and that, that was not a disrespectful thing at all, that was just a cultural thing of, of Jesus, address, uh, he was just addressing his mother in a normal way. If you and I read that, if you and I tried that, we'd probably get in trouble, right? So it's, it's important to understand the historical and cultural setting as you read Scripture. So I know I kind of like tossed a lot out there. Um, and again, I hope this is just whetting your appetite to understand a little bit of the basics and dive a little bit deeper into the doctrine of Scripture. But the Bible is inspired by God. The Bible has been preserved by God. And we need to understand the proper way to interpret the Bible. Um, I think you and I often forget, because we have such easy access to Scripture, we're, we're so accustomed to being surrounded by Bible verses and seeing it everywhere in our culture. We are blessed. We, we forget how, how precious this word from God is. Imagine you got a call at work tomorrow, and you, it was the agent of Tony Romo, and he said, hey, Tony would love to meet with you. Do you think you can make some time in your schedule today 
to come meet with Tony. How many of you would make some time to meet with Tony Romo tomorrow? Oh, come on. More than that. Okay. <laughs> Just because he's not the QB anymore and they all forgot about him. <laughs> if, if Tony Romo's agent were to call me up and say, hey, I want to meet with you tomorrow, I'll be calling Pastor John and say, hey, I can't make it into work. I can meet with Tony Romo, right? This is an important meeting that I have with this very important person that I want to meet, right? But God himself has given us a book, and he's invited us to meet with him. He's invited us to, to go and, and grow in our knowledge, understanding of him, and our love for him. And oftentimes you and I set that aside for much lesser things. Right? We, we set aside that time in Scripture where we can get to know God, get to know his heart, get to know his will. And instead we say, you know what, this other thing, this lesser thing, is of more importance to me. This is how I'm going to spend my time. And again, we're not going to tell you how much time to spend studying Scripture every day. But my question to you is, have, is has your time with God in his word grown over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Or has it stayed pretty much the same? Or has it stagnated and gone, gone down even? As, as Christians, we have this gift of God's breathed out, perfect, eternal word. And we have easy access to it. So it's good to know that, that the Bible is inspired, that it's preserved, and that it's good to know how to interpret it. But again, all that will mean nothing if you never actually read it, if you never actually study it for yourself. The act of studying Scripture is a discipline of every disciple, right? The word disciple just means learner. I'm a learner of Jesus. But how can I be learning about Jesus if I never take time to read what he has given to me? How would I expect God to speak into my life if I have muted the main channel he has given to me to hear from him? Right? I need to hear from God and hear from his word. And so you have to set aside time on a daily basis to study God's word. If you haven't done that, then you're probably not reading his word. Because there's always going to be something to fill up our time, right? There's always a new distraction. There's always a new problem. There's always something else ready and willing to take that precious time away. But you and I have to set, set that in our hearts that, look, I have a set time with God every single day. I'm not going to let anything take that away from me. Because I believe that God has spoken to me through his word. I believe that his word is precious. I believe that his word is eternal. And I need to hear from God today. And you'll find that if you're anything like me anyway, you'll find that when you begin to prioritize the reading of God's word, when you begin to sit down and try to open his word for yourself, there'll be times when God really shows up. There'll also be times when it feels like you cannot focus at all, right? And the enemy loves to make our time in the word as unprofitable as possible. But don't be discouraged when that happens. God has promised that his word will not return void to his people. And just think of what the return on your investment will be if you take a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour every single day for the next 20 years studying God's word for yourself. Think of what that return of investment will be on your own spiritual life. We often want to, to read you know, one verse today and have that immediately change my life right now. But sometimes God takes the cumulative 
time that you spent in his word of year after year after year to alter you, to change you, to reveal himself to you. And in that moment when you need it most, he'll bring that verse, he'll bring that passage to your mind to get you through that. Whenever you are tempted by sin, he will give you that verse. He will give you that passage to help you defeat that sin. Don't think of the Bible as a, I, I'm going to read it today and I'm going to get the immediate result from it today. You might, you many times do, but think long term. Think, if I invest my life into this book, how will I be different 20 years from now? If I were to read the Bible once, like from cover to cover, every single year, 20 times in the next 20 years, how much would that change me? How much of my life would be different than it is right now? How much more like Christ could I be then than I am now? The, the whole key to us going through these doctrines is application. It's good to know all the proofs of Scripture. The historical, the scientific, the archaeological, those are all very important. It's good to know that God breathed out every single word of Scripture, that he's reserved it for you to read. But if you never read it, and you never obey it, what good is it? You have to take the time to study this precious gift that we have been given, because we want to know God better. Remember, this is not a book about you or about me. This is a book about God and how awesome God is. And if you and I take the time to read that, Every single day, imagine how much more like Christ you and I will be. Imagine how much more God can use you if you are filled with his word. Right? I, I fill myself with, with a lot of things throughout the day. Music, podcasts, whatever's on Netflix. I fill my mind, I fill my heart, I fill my soul with a lot of different things. But what priority am I giving to the word of God? Right? You and I have so many opportunities now to watch awesome messages to hear great podcasts, awesome Christian music. Those are all good, but none of those things are a substitute for you personally reading and studying God's Word for yourself. The Bible is a precious gift, so let's steward it well, and let's guard our hearts. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Uh, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you have inspired it, that we know that it is a perfect, complete book. We, we thank you, Lord, that you have preserved it for us over the thousands of years that now we have the Bible in English in many different translations. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you that you have given us tools uh, to interpret your scripture. And Father, I pray most of all, though, Lord, that each of us here would not just walk away tonight knowing these things about the Bible, but that we would walk away inspired to actually read and study the Bible more than we are right now. And Father, we thank you that we can be confident that your word will have an awesome return on investment in our spiritual life, and our spiritual walk with you. And Father, I pray that as we come across passages that are hard, difficult, or challenging, that we would humbly submit ourselves to you and to your voice and to your word. I pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.